You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys. You guys are looking Really good today. Good to see you guys. We're glad you're here. And uh, why don't you uh, like look at somebody around you? Just wave at them. Say, "Hey, you're looking good." Just wave at them a little bit. We used to shake hands. Can't do that anymore. Just yell at the person in front of you. I believe you, you're losing weight. You're looking great. Just say that to them. So, hey, we're glad you're here, and we want to say hello to our Fenwick Island campus. Let's give them a big hand right now. Thank you guys for joining us. And we're all one church. We're so glad that you're here. And uh, what a great worship night we had last week at uh, Fenwick Island. Chase and the whole team and Brigitte and Joel, everybody did so amazing. It was such a great event for Bayshore. Next Sunday, uh, all three campuses at Bayshore will be taking communion simultaneously as we get ready for Easter. So you don't want to miss next Sunday. So next Sunday, all of our campuses will be taking communion at the very same time in Rehoboth, Fenwick Island, here at Millsboro. And those of you that are online, if you'd like to join us uh, next weekend for communion, just get the elements ready, and when we come to that point, we can all take it together. So today we're starting a new series called Easter Parade, and we're going to be talking about the different people that are a part of the Easter story. And uh, today we're going to be talking about Judas Iscariot. Next Sunday we'll be talking about the Apostle Peter, and on Easter Sunday we'll be talking about Pilate. And so today uh, we're going to begin talking about one of the most mysterious disciples in all of the uh, New Testament, and we're going to be talking about Judas Iscariot. Now, uh, you know, Judas sort of uh, tainted the name. You know, Judas Iscariot tainted the name Judas because um, I've never done a wedding of anybody that the male was Judas. I've never done that. I've never dedicated a little baby that, you know, little Judas is here. I've never had a uh, woman come up to me, hey, meet my fiance, Judas. Uh, Judas is just like a, not a name anybody goes for because, uh, you know, Judas Iscariot did such a job on that name that nobody wants to be named Judas. Now, I don't know if you know this, but in Spain, it's illegal to be named Judas. You cannot name a baby Judas in Spain. It's against the law. It's that bad. Uh, when you think about uh, this, uh, the frequency of the name Judas, uh, 0.06% out of 100,000 Americans are named Judas. So that is really, really uh, crazy. That means that, that uh, Judas, if you go down the list of popularity of names, Judas is 25th, uh, 25,549th down on the list. So people aren't going for Judas. It's just not a name that people go for. Paul, on the other hand, Paul is the most, uh, 25th most popular given name in, in the United States. An estimated 1,468,000 people are named Paul. But Judas is not a name that we go for anymore because Judas Iscariot has sort of tainted that name. When my first, not my first grandson, uh, yeah, it was my first grandson born. My son Joel told me they were going to name him Nixon. Going to name him Nixon. Now, I'm a baby boomer, and so when I hear Nixon, I think of Richard Nixon. 
And, uh, you know, and so I just, like Joel, I mean, you know, it's not none of my business for sure, but why would you, you know, name him Nixon? And then Joel went on to explain to me that there's a, uh, my son Joel is a surfer as well as my other son Tim, uh, evidently there's a surfing watch named Nixon, and it's a name, and so anyhow, he likes the name Nixon, and now we really like Nixon. I think our Nixon is going to redeem the name of Nixon for all time. So... Judas is an interesting name, and um, you know he's uh, he's called Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot. Now, there's a couple reasons for that. Maybe you haven't thought about this, but there were two Judases in the disciples. There was Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot. So one of the reasons that Judas was given that surname Iscariot was to sort of separate him from the other Judas. And uh, if you look at the list of disciples, there is another Judas there, particularly in the book of Acts as the disciples are listed there. And uh, so that's one of the reasons. And so when Jesus called out Judas, there was two Judases that would raise their hand. So uh, Judas Iscariot was given to him uh, that surname for a reason. Iscariot, uh, by the way, kind of figuring out what is interesting about Iscariot, uh, Iscariot, they, they believe, uh, scholars believe that that means man of Kirioth which is a little town south of Jerusalem in sort of the desert, the Negev, uh, in Judea. So that would make Judas the only disciple, the only disciple from the south. All the other disciples were from Galilee. So Peter, James, John, Andrew, all of them were from Galilee, and Judas was the only one from the south. And one has to wonder if that affected his worldview, how he thought about the Messiah and all of that, because we know that when Jesus stayed in Galilee, things went pretty good, but when he went to Judea, things always got dicey. So was Judas, uh, was he sort of colored by that? So one theory for why he's named Judas Iscariot is, it, is that it could mean a man from Kirioth. Then another theory is that it's, uh, Iscariot comes from the word Sicari. Sicari, uh, in Jesus' day, there were a group of people called the Sicari, and they were people that were against the Roman Empire, and they were called men of the sword. So they would carry a sword in their, in their robe, and they would sneak into a crowd, and they would stab a Roman soldier and disappear into the, into the crowd. And they were called Sicari. So one of the theories is that Judas was one of these Sicari. He was a very much a uh, liberated kind of freedom fighter kind of guy. So we don't know for sure, but we just know that he was from the south, and we know that he was different than the other Judas. Now the big question about Judas Iscariot is this. It's not who betrayed Jesus. You know, if you saw the, uh, you know, uh, any mystery movies where you're trying to figure out who did what, you know, Death on the Nile, you know, that movie that recently came out, trying to figure out who did it, who killed the person uh, that was killed on the, on the, on the, on the uh, cruise ship there. Uh, this not the problem with Judas. We know, who, we know who betrayed Jesus. What we don't know is why he betrayed Jesus. That's the mystery. Why did Judas betray Jesus? What made him do that? So that's the most intriguing question when you think about Judas. What went on in his mind and his heart that made him betray the Son of God who did all these miracles and did all these wonderful things, feeding the people that were hungry, caring for the sick and all the things that he did. And Judas, as we'll talk about a little later in the message this morning, Judas was somebody that saw everything. He heard with his own ears the Sermon on the Mount. He saw with his own eyes Jesus walking on the water. He saw all these things. 
And so we have to wonder what made Judas Iscariot betray Jesus. And so there's a number of theories. And so let's go through some of these theories and talk about that a little, little bit. What would the, the, here's, a, here's one of the theories. There's a whole bunch of them. We're going to go through one of them real quickly, one at a time real quickly. First one is Judas was bad from the beginning. That Judas was never a real disciple of Jesus. That he uh, was a sort of a spy that joined the discipleship band and he felt like that Jesus was bad for the future of Israel and what he was going to do in terms of upsetting the Roman Empire. And so uh, one theory is that Judas was a plant from the beginning to get rid of Jesus and that he never was a pure disciple of Jesus and that he was somehow uh, you know, in there as a conspirator to get rid of Jesus. Jesus. Now, there's a problem with that theory. The problem is, is that we know that Jesus went on the mountain and prayed all night before he chose his disciples. And imagine this, when uh, Jesus is calling the 12 disciples, it says he went on the mount and he had prayed all night and then he named those disciples and one by one they stepped out of the crowd and they came on the mountain with him and he called out Judas Iscariot. So Judas was called by Jesus. So I don't think that he was a plant. I think that uh, he was literally called by Jesus to, do, uh, to be a part of the disciples. So that's the first one, uh, that Judas was just bad from the beginning. The second theory is that Judas betrayed Jesus for money. He betrayed Jesus for money. Uh, that he was a materialist. That he really just cared about money and that he uh, gave Jesus over to the authorities to get more money. And that's the money theory. The money theory is really big. And one of the reasons that people believe the money theory is, is what pushed Judas over the edge is that we know that he was the treasurer. He was the treasurer that took care of the money. The disciples collected money to take care of the poor. They had sort of a benevolence ministry. And so Judas was in charge of that, which probably showed that he had some real management skills and that he was really maybe, maybe had an MBA, you know, maybe had a you know, master's in business. He maybe was really good. But Judas uh, was the one that took care of the money. And we know that in John chapter 12, uh, you know, that what happened was Jesus was coming back to Bethany where Lazarus had been raised from the dead. And he comes back to, uh, to uh, uh, where Lazarus was raised from the dead. They had a party for Jesus. And Mary took some ointment uh, and made out a pure nard, which nard came from India. And it was like, this, this was like Chanel 5. This is the most expensive stuff you could get. And she broke that perfume and poured it on the feet of Jesus and then wiped his feet with her hair. And Judas objected, and he said, why wasn't this money given to take care of the poor? Why wasn't this money given to take care of the poor? And John makes a little comment. He said he didn't care about the poor, but he just uh, he did this because he took money out of, the, out of the purse. John chapter 12, verse 6 says, he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief as a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So one of the theories is that Judas was a materialist motivated by money and that it was money that made him betray Jesus. Now we have to remember this, that the Gospels and the, the New Testament has a lot to say about materialism, has a lot to say about money, and that we have to be careful that money does not steal our heart. Jesus said this, he said, Jesus said, you cannot love God and mammon, and mammon, of course, is the word for money. 
You cannot love God and love money. You can have money, but money can't have you. And so the the Gospels and the New Testament talks a lot about money stealing our hearts, and we have to be careful with that. And whenever we talk about, you know, the, the, being an, the, the Bible is not anti-materialist, it's not anti-people being rich, it's not anti-people having a lot of money. Karen and I were recently in Naples, and we were, uh, uh, went down downtown Naples riding around, and all those mansions, those big houses, I'm telling you, I don't know what people need with a house that big. They were huge, and we were just loving them all and thinking about going back to our little cottage at night and it was just amazing it was uh it was something but money uh is a strong motivation now here's the deal money can never be primary in your life if you're a disciple of Jesus it can never be primary it always has to be secondary if money is primary and Jesus is secondary you're not an authentic disciple of Jesus because we have to make sure that Jesus is number one. And one of the reasons that we, uh, we, that we can deal with that is that's the whole idea behind giving as we give, as we give financially uh, and we give our tithes and offering, is a way of purifying our heart of a strong materialistic instinct that we all have. So that's an important thing for us to think about. A couple of scriptures real quickly as, we, uh, as we're going to move away from this point in just a minute. Uh, this scripture is really interesting in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6 uh, and 6 through 10 but godliness with contentment is great gain everybody say contentment being happy and being contented with what you have for we brought nothing into this world we can take nothing out of it Billy Graham says I've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse going to the graveyard <laughs> you can't take it with you and that is literally true you cannot take it with you. They piled all that stuff, and those people in Egypt that died, all those pharaohs, they piled all their, their worldly goods in there, and now people you know, broke in years later and stole all that stuff. You know, Those dead people couldn't use that. But it says in verse 8, but if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish, harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction for the love of for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, not everybody, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So the New Testament says that if we're eager and our main passion in life is for money, that can become a downfall for individuals. So we want people at Bayshore to be very uh, prosperous and all that and, uh, and, and people to be very, very prudent in business and the Lord to bless you. But at the end of the day, the test of our heart, if we're really disciples of Jesus, money can never be primary. It always has to be secondary. And I can tell you after 40 years of ministry talking to people that get defensive about that, many, many times it's because money has become primary and not secondary. So that's an important thing. And a little script, little uh, thing that reminds me, it says, uh, this is a great uh, scripture in Proverbs, Proverbs 30, uh, verse 7 through 9. Two things, this is a guy named Agar in the book of Proverbs. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. And listen to this. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? 
or it may become or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Interesting little thing that Agar said there. Uh, Proverbs 23, 5, cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off like an eagle. So say this way: money must be secondary, and Jesus must be primary. Very important principle there. So it says that Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Now, how much was that worth? How much was 30 pieces of silver worth? Nobody really knows because we don't know exactly what type of, uh, what type of uh, coins it was. And uh, there's all kinds of theories about how much the money was that Judas got for Jesus. But we do know that in the Old Testament, there was a prophecy in the book of uh, Zechariah, Zechariah 11, verses 12 through 13, that Jesus would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. And uh, here's what it says in Zechariah 11, 12 through 13. I told them... If you think it best, give me my pay, but if not, keep it. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver, and the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, which we know Judas threw the, the money to the, uh, back into the temple, and the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the handsome price. Now, that's a, that's a sarcastic remark there, the handsome price. In the Old Testament, 30 pieces of silver was the amount of money that, was, uh, uh, that you would use to redeem a slave. So that means that the money uh, that the 30 pieces of silver predicted in the Old Testament was a very small amount and was basically to redeem. If you had a slave that was gored by an ox, you would give 30 shekels of silver to buy that slave. So there's a little bit of the devaluation of, of this money in comparison to Jesus. So the, I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw it to the potter's house uh, in the Lord. So is that the reason that Judas betrayed uh, Jesus? Was that the reason? I'm not sure if that's the reason. I'm not sure if that's the whole reason. He may have had uh, strong materialistic yearnings. That may have been part of it, but I'm not sure that's why, Jesus, or why Judas betrayed Jesus. And that's one theory. It was for the money. We know this. We know that he took the money after he felt guilty and remorse, and he threw the money, and he gave the money back. So was there more to it than why Judas betrayed Jesus than money? Now, the third reason that uh, people have said that, Jesus, that Judas betrayed uh, Jesus was this. He was predestined to do this and didn't have a choice. He was predestined to do this and didn't have a choice. In other words, uh, Judas was simply, a, uh, he was simply a, a, piece, a, a chess piece on a chessboard. That he did not have a choice and that he was destined to do this. And uh, that's a big theory that some people have, and that Judas was this sort of like, he didn't have a choice, he was created to betray Jesus, somebody had to betray Jesus, so it had to be Judas, and Judas was the guy, and Judas was just sort of like a robot doing what uh, he was uh, commissioned to do by divine providence. And uh, I really have some trouble with that. And, uh, you know, I know, I believe in the sovereignty of God, I believe in the sovereignty of God, but also believe, I believe God's sovereign over my life. But inside of God's sovereignty, there are choices that I make every single day. I can choose to eat that bag of Doritos or not. And a lot of times I go for the Doritos, I'll just have to tell you. I mean, is there anything better on this earth than Doritos? Just give me, you know, give me an amen there. You know, that's good stuff. But within 
that uh, parameters of God's sovereignty, there are choices that we can make. There are choices that we can make. And I do not believe that uh, Judas was just simply destined to do this. Now, where people get this from is out of, uh, out of John chapter 17. And I sure respect their view because there is a scripture that seems to indicate this. John chapter 17, verse 12. While I was with them, Jesus is talking about the disciples, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost, speaking of his disciples, his apostles, none has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled so that would be where people would get the idea that uh, Judas was was uh, was predestined to do what he did now the word doomed to destruction many of your translations in the Bible says son of perdition now interesting that word is only used two times in the New Testament and it's used here of Judas and it's used in second Thessalonians of the Antichrist and some people believe that the Antichrist one day is going to, when the Antichrist shows up on the scene, the Antichrist is going to be the resurrected Judas. So that's one of the theories there. But here's a great, uh, great uh, theologian, a guy named Merle Tenney, and I want to read you a little something right now. I don't like to read to you because I know reading can be boring, but this is important. Uh, Merle Tenney, who's a great noted scholar, says this, talking about Judas being the son of perdition. The, the one doomed to destruction. He says, because of this singular coincidence, some have assumed that the Antichrist will be Judas resurrected. More likely, this phrase was a common Semitism, which is a Hebrew uh, idiom or phrase, uh, denoting an abandoned character, one utterly lost and given over to evil. The language does not imply that Judas was a helpless victim who was destined to perdition against his will. Rather, it implies that having made the decision, he passed the point of no return, and so by doing, he carried out what the scriptures had indicated would happen. Notice what he says, the language does not imply that Judas was a helpless victim who was destined to perdition against his will. So I don't believe that Judas was uh, destined to do this. I believe that he had a will. Now, what I believe is, in, at the Lord, Last Supper, and we'll get to this in a minute, at the Last Supper, when Jesus said to the disciples, one of you is going to betray me. And then it says, interestingly, it says that, uh, uh, you know, Peter, it's an interesting little part of the story. Peter says to John, who was leaning next to Jesus, had, right next to Jesus. Of course, they weren't sitting at a table. They were, had their arms, they were, their feet were out, and they, were, had their, uh, they had a little table in the middle. And, and, and John and Jesus are just like that. And Peter says, ask the Lord who it is. And, and John, who is close to Jesus, John who's close to Jesus, John says to Jesus, who is it? And, he, uh, and Jesus says, now John, the one I give the sop, the one I give the piece of bread, that's the one. Let me just say something right there. The people that are closest to Jesus have greater discernment. John was a man that was close to Jesus and he was intimate with Jesus. And, and in that, that chaotic time, John heard what Jesus was saying. And in every generation, there are people that are close to Jesus that have special discernment about what God is doing in those times. We've got, and just a little sidebar here, we've got all kinds of people that are just so filled with, with the news on CNN and the news on Fox and the news on all the different things. And we need to stay informed and all that. But what we need in our 
our generation are people that are close to Jesus, can hear the heartbeat of Jesus, and that they know what the Lord is saying in our times. we got enough people that know everything about what's going on in the world. We don't have enough people that's got their ears close to the heart of Jesus to know what he's saying. And in every generation, there's people that have a word from the Lord, and they know what the Lord is saying. Can you say a big amen? We need people in this church. Amen. Let's give the Lord praise over him. Peter said to John, who is it? And John is the only one. He was the closest one to Jesus that heard and understood what was going on in those times. And I'm just, I just want to pause. This is not the message. I want to pause right here and say that in our church, we need people that have become people of prayer, people that seek the face of the Lord, the people that are close to Jesus, people that know when to turn the TV off, when to quit listening to everybody on the news, and when to shut that down, and people that will get close to Jesus and hear the Lord for what the Lord is saying in our generation. It says in Second Chronicles, the sons of Issachar uh, knew what the Lord should do in their times. They had a, an awareness. So, that's one of the, one of the things here. Uh, so back to the point here. The point is, is that, uh, that was, was uh, Judas predestined to do what he did? Uh, I believe that when, uh, when Jesus said uh, to John, the one I give the piece of bread to. Now, the piece of bread was, it was like a little, little piece of flat bread. And there were crushed fruit and crushed nuts in a little jar, sort of like salsa. And he dipped that bread in there, and he handed it to Jesus. And it was, a, it was a, a token of love and friendship. Whenever you would give the sop, it was a token of love and friendship. So our Savior, who was about to die for the sins of the world, looks his betrayer in the eye, and he takes that bread, and he gives it to Judas. And it was that moment that Judas had a choice to make. As he looked in the loving eyes of Jesus, Jesus looking at him, Jesus loving him, Jesus caring for him, that was his moment to repent and say, oh, Lord, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But he took the bread in hypocrisy, and it says in Luke, and it says in John, at that moment, Satan entered him. So that was the moment where Judas, his choice was given over to the devil. Let me give you one more uh, little scripture about free will. I believe that we've been given free will. God is sovereign, but how you balance the sovereignty of God and the free will of man is always a mystery. But here's what it says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and take care of it, and the Lord commanded the man, listen to this, you are free, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden but you must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Notice what God gave man in the garden. You are free to eat of whatever tree in the garden you want to eat of. So that is an, another, another deal here, another thing here. So, uh, so that's one theory. Here's another one. He, he was possessed by Satan, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on that. It says in John 13, 27, uh, that he was possessed by Satan. Uh, uh, John 13, 27, as soon as Judas took the bread, notice that, as soon as he rejected the overture of Jesus of kindness, Satan entered him. And then it says in Luke, then Satan entered G G Judas called Iscariot. Now, uh, there's a lot of... Uh, uh, ancient people that uh, the early church fathers that believed that Judas was a legitimate follower of Jesus, 
uh, until Satan entered him, and uh, that's part of what, what's going on. Now, next theory is the jealousy theory, the jealousy theory, that Judas uh, turned Jesus over because he was jealous because he was an outsider. Uh, you got Peter, James, and John that were intimate with the Lord. They were close with Jesus. They were, you know, whenever Jesus went on the Mount of Transfiguration, he took Peter, James, and John with him. Peter, James, and John were, were always, you know, on the inner circle, and Judas was always on the outside. And so he became bitter and angry, and he was jealous. And let me just say this to you. Jealousy, we all know that jealousy that turns to bitterness can become hostile. Now, some of you are in uh, family situations. You have siblings that you don't get along with your brothers or your sisters, and there's jealousy about who has the biggest house or who has this or that. And sometimes there's jealousy that creates all kinds of problems and disorder. Sometimes in organization, you got people that are in, uh, in, a, in a company, and there's jealousy about who gets promotion. Uh, and jealousy is a very, very big, uh, very big problem. Here's what James 3.16 says. For where you have envy, that's another word for jealousy, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. So was it, was it jealousy that drove uh, Judas to betray Jesus? Probably not. The only reason, it could have been part of the reason. Now here's, here's what I think are more likely, two more, more likely solutions. Uh, that Judas betrayed Jesus because he became disillusioned with Jesus not establishing the kingdom the way he thought it should be established. Judas, if he was from the south, which we think he was, and if he was a patriot, then he's wanting Jesus to just use his power to overthrow the Roman Empire. He's wanting Jesus to do these mighty things to get rid of the Roman Empire. And Jesus is talking this defeatist language like, hey, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to die. And, and he's, he's, he's loving on kids and he's, he, you know, he's feeding people. He's really benevolent and all this. And he's doing all of these things, but he's not using his power to get rid of Caesar, not using his power to get rid of Pilate and Herod. And so he became disillusioned with the kind of kingdom that Jesus was building. Now, is there an application for us here? Is there an application for us here? Here's the application for us here. And please don't, uh, please hear everything I'm saying, what I'm about to say. I believe that it's important that we vote for good candidates for office. I believe it's important that we, you know, we have our, our head plugged in and we're voting for people that, that have good values and all that. I think that's all important. But let me just tell you something. There are people, there are Christians that their whole view of Christianity is to get the right people elected, to get the right people in office. If we can get the right people in place and we can restore society by by political means and I'm just here to tell you at my age and what I've been through in my season of, of living I can just tell you that I have given up on politics saving this world that I believe that there's a different kind of kingdom that the Lord is building and we need to be thinking more proactively about the kind of kingdom God wants to build instead of trying to get the right people in place we get the right people in place then we can fix the world Uh, 
I was around when Pat Robertson ran for president. I was around when we had the Christian Coalition. I was around when we tried to get every precinct led by a conservative person. And we are further away from those objectives than we've ever been. And it may be that the Lord is trying to get us back to a place that we have, we have abandoned the gospel. We've abandoned preaching Jesus. We've abandoned teaching his word. We've abandoned taking care of the poor because we put all of our energy in a place that God maybe doesn't want it. Our primary energy should not be put in that place. And so Judas was disillusioned that he wanted a physical kingdom. He wanted the politics to be right. And here's what Jesus said to Pilate when Pilate's trying him. Jesus said in, in John 18, verse 36, listen to this. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. The kingdom of God is different than the kingdom of this world. So Judas got disillusioned by that. The last theory is, is that Judas, uh, this is called the coercion theory. The coercion theory is, is that Judas knew that Jesus could do anything and they had all of this power to do whatever uh, he wanted to do. He could walk on the water, he could make bread, he could raise the dead, and if he had all that power, if he would just focus that power on restoring Israel and it would get rid of the Romans, then it would all happen. So Judas turned Jesus over to the authorities, painting, Judas, painting Jesus in a corner so that he would use his power to establish God's kingdom and get rid of the Romans. And when, when, when Judas comes to the Garden of Gethsemane, when they came to arrest Jesus, it looked like it was going to happen because uh, Judas came up and betrayed Jesus with a kiss. And Jesus said, who is it uh, you're seeking? And they said, we're seeking Jesus. And he said, I am, like the I am of the Old Testament, when Moses saw the burning bush, I am. And it says they fell to the ground under the power of the Lord as the Lord spoke. And that was the power of Jesus. And Judas thought, it's happening. It's happening. Look at this. He's using his power. The Romans are on the ground. But then he let himself be bound and he went along with them. And that shows you Jesus was not a martyr. Jesus was not a martyr. Jesus went to that cross totally voluntarily. He could have, at any moment, he said, he could have called legions of angels to deliver him. But when he's on the cross, it's not out of weakness. It's not out of him not having another opportunity, another choice. He's on the cross because of his amazing love for you and me. And he chose to be on that cross. And he did not have to be on that cross. And that's the gospel. Our God loves us with such a degree that although he has power to push his enemies away, he lets his enemies whip him. He lets his enemies take him to the cross. He lets his enemies drive nails in his hands because he is the loving son of God who gave his life for you and me. I've got 10 seconds left, and we're out of time, and I've just got a little, got a whole lot more. 
Jesus took our, um, one of the things I love about the story is that Judas betraying Jesus with a kiss, kissed him on the cheek, shows that our, our, our Lord knows what it's like to be rejected at a level that is hard to understand. It, it prophesied this in Psalm 41, the one that I ate bread with will lift up his heel against me. And notice how Jesus gave him bread and, G, and the Old Testament said, way back in Psalms, the one I ate bread with lifted up his heel against me. So if you've been rejected by maybe a spouse that left you, was unfaithful to you, or you, you know, got uh, rejected by a good friend, or you got rejected by something that happened at work, all of the rejection that you've experienced, all the rejection you've gone through, Jesus completely understands that. He loves that. That's why it says in Hebrews, he has been made a perfect high priest. How can Jesus be made perfect? Jesus has made a perfect high priest because he experienced everything that I've experienced. I know in my ministry, you know what? You know when people leave the church or things I've gone through, there's always a sense of rejection and pain you feel. And I can go to the Lord and I say, Lord, you know, this is painful and the Lord can look at me and say, I know all about rejection. I know all about rejection. He's gone through everything that you've gone through. If you've been rejected, he has been rejected at a higher level. When I first came here uh, years ago uh, to pastor here at Bayshore, um, I joined the fire company in the community, and we just had a few people in the church, and so I had some spare time, and, you know, we had 60 and then 20, and then we started building up a little bit, and, um, and so I joined the fire company to get to know people in the community, and, uh, and I used to hang on the back of the fire truck, ride along, and try to put fires out. That was a whole lot of fun, putting fires out. That was a lot of fun. One night, I was riding on the back of that fire truck. It hit a bump, and I mean, I went airborne. My feet were no longer on that thing. I'm just like hanging on that truck. And uh, so I went through all the lessons and all the, the certifications I had to go through. And I hadn't yet got my own coat and my own boots. And so I was always, you know, I had big feet. So there was one guy I was assigned to wear his, his boots if he didn't show up. And so the fire alarm went off and I went, uh, ran down to the fire company in my little car. And I went and got into the firehouse and got my coat and put those boots on. And evidently there had been a fire the night before and the boots were just completely wet inside. And there wasn't any time I had to run to the, I put these wet boots on. And I ran to the fire truck, jumped on the fire truck and they took off and one guy dropped in the parking lot. But we kept going, you know, so. But when I think about what Jesus has done for you and what he's done for me, is he came to this planet and he put on our wet boots. He put on our wet boots he put on every experience that you have gone through. And because he has gone through rejection, because his, one of his best friends walked up to him in a garden and kissed him on the cheek and betrayed him, Jesus knows the pain that you have felt in your heart when you've been rejected. And he is a perfect, he's a perfect high priest Say that with me. He is my perfect high priest. One more time. He is my perfect high priest.
Would you lift your hands to the Lord right now? The Holy Spirit's just going to minister to you before you leave today. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you've heard the gospel today. Jesus didn't, what didn't, wasn't made to go to the cross. He went to the cross. He could have flicked off his enemies with, a, with a, just a, a flick of his finger. But he went to the cross because he loves you and you needed his forgiveness. If you haven't received him, just invite him into your heart right now. You don't have to come forward and nobody has to put a spotlight on you right where you are. Make Jesus Lord of your life. Make him Lord of your life. If you're listening online right now, you're, some of you sitting in the kitchen, some of you are in the living room, make Jesus Lord of your life right wherever you are. And your life as you come to Easter will become increasingly different because of his kingdom that's inside of you. Let's lift our hands and let's just pray. Lord, we pray your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You taught us to pray that. Father God, help us not to be like Judas, disillusioned with what's going on in the world, but to know that you're building a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You're building a people that are an everlasting people, a peculiar people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation called to tell people about the good news of Jesus and called to feed the poor and called to love and care for those that need caring for Lord, let us get back to the gospel. Let us get back to the calling of what you've called us to be as a church. And we ask you to do that. And Lord, we just receive your grace. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Amen, amen. Amen. Just thank you, Lord. Just thank the Lord for your salvation right now. Just thank him for your salvation. Thank him. As you come into Easter... Maybe it's been a while since you just, the book of Hebrews says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? It's a great salvation. So, Father, we thank you as we come to Easter, as we build to that moment, we celebrate the goodness of God, the love of God, the grace of God in our life, the grace of God, the power of God in our life. In Jesus' name, thank you, God. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.